Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the world. That's right, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I am super excited to be here this week. I just got off of Skype with Sean Garvey from the 5x15 podcast. I'll put a link to his podcast episode in the show notes over at uh, thecliffravenscraftshow.com slash 541. This is episode 541. Occasionally, I do a podcast episode where what I shared in that episode, I feel so great about it that I'm, I'm honored and thankful for the opportunity to be able to share that message with their audience. But there are sometimes it's like, wow, I said something in such a unique way and I want to share this message with my audience. And so I asked Sean at the end of the interview, I said, hey, do you mind if I also release this as an episode of my podcast? I don't always do that, but occasionally I feel like I want to share this one with my audience. Now, here's the thing. I know that some of you have heard this story 15 times, and it's the story of how did I get started in building this business? You know, the origin story of Cliff Ravenscraft, the tech geek, the lost insurance, or the lost insurance, the insurance guy, um, the background in ministry, and the story of how I got started as a hobby and turned it into a full time career, and all of that stuff. And yes, this story is not new to a lot of you. I hope that you'll listen to this. Anyway, um, it seems like no matter how many times I tell this story, there are different elements that come out or a different spin on it that comes out. I don't know know that necessarily that comes out, but boy, at the end of this episode, I, I think it's hilarious because the entire purpose of this episode was to ask me five questions about joy. And Sean had prepared those questions and I'm like, okay, how am I going to answer these questions? And we never even got into the five questions until after we'd been talking for well over an hour. I think there's still the power in the story of of my experience that I hope will encourage and motivate and inspire some of you to take action on some of those dreams that you have. And then if you can stick around as long, I mean, this is a long episode. I know it. But if you can stick around to the end when he finally asked me the five questions, but I've never actually spoke those words in that way before and and I'm like yeah I want to I want to release this to you guys so that's the setup for this week's episode with all of that being said here's the interview that I did with Sean Garvey and here it is now if you would give my listeners a bit of your background and your story because it really was one of the things that that compelled me to reach out to you and ask you to be with me today Sure. Well, I assume that you mean the story from leaving a full-time career into creating my own business and becoming known around the world as the podcast answer man, that kind of story? Yes, sir. So basically what happened was there are three things to know about me, and I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. If you want me to expand upon any of it, just let me know. So here's three things to know about me before any of that change took place in my life. Number one, 
Um, I've always been a tech geek. So technology and me go hand in hand. I, I'm an early adopter of all things tech. Took my first computer part when I was eight years old. Started uh, blogging before it was ever called uh, blogging. Uh, back in 1996, I started hand coding HTML files and we called them web journals back then. And uh, so, so I'm an early adopter. I love technology. That's one thing to know about me. A second thing to know about me is that in, uh, I guess when I was, it was 1996, I felt a call to full-time ministry in my life. And so I felt God saying, hey, I want you to be in service of people around the world, encouraging them, inspiring them to become all that I want them to be or what I've created them to be. So just, just be an encourager. So um, that, that's always been a part of my life. And for a while there, from 1996 to 2006, I was actually an associate pastor. So I was, when, when I had main, made known to my pastor at the time that uh, I feel this calling, I, I went before their, the church board, and the church board said, listen, there are two paths for those who are called to ministry. One is the elder path, and one is the deacon path, and we feel like you're probably called to be the elder path, and we want you to study to be an elder in the Nazarene church, and that means you're going to go get your district minister license, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so because they, they basically only had two boxes to put me in, they put me in that box, and I went down that path for a 10-year period of my life. Now, what happened was 1996 was a pretty interesting year because that was the year that I got married. It was just shortly after that that I felt this calling, if you will. And then, in 19, I think it was actually 1997, I uh, went to work for my parents. My parents actually owned a family-run insurance agency, an in- independent insurance agency, and it had been in the family. Uh, my, my dad bought it from his dad when he retired. And I guess, you know, the, the expectation might be there that hopefully one day our son would come into the business and he would take over the insurance agency. The uh, thing is, I had zero desire to be in the insurance business. But they begged me to come work for them after I got married. At the time, I was working some customer service job. And so uh, they said, hey, we, we want to give you a good, solid opportunity to have a career. We know you're into computers. We, in our agency... Uh, we bought this brand new software that allows us to manage everything, and and it's called agency management software, and it allows us to do our quotes. And we have no idea what to do, and supposedly we need to install Windows ninety five, which was this brand new <laughs> operating system, and and these computers need to be networked together. They had no idea what that was. They said, but we think that you could probably do that. Do you think you can? And I said, yeah. They said, well, we'd like to hire you full time to do that. And I said, I'll come work for you as long as you promise me two things. And they said, what's that? said, well, number one, uh, you'll never make me get my, li- my insurance license because I have no desire to be in the insurance business. Uh, I'll come do your computer stuff, but I-, I just have no interest in the insurance business. And number two, if I'm ever offered an opportunity to, to pastor a church full time, you have to be okay with me leaving, no matter how much you're paying me and how much less I might make in that position. Because I, I was conditioned to think that that was my ultimate goal in life, was to be the head pastor of a Nazarene church. So um, they agreed to that, and so I went to go work for them. Well, a couple years into it, uh, actually, it was actually a year into it, um, the computers were up and running, uh, and it got to the place where there was really nothing for me to do except for to do filing. And I was an overpaid file clerk, and I hated filing. I, I, I loved to do anything other than paper file a bunch of files and folders. 
So I, I basically started doing all the quotes for my dad in the business, all the insurance quotes. I wasn't licensed, so I wasn't allowed to give those quotes. But here's what happened. I, I would give my dad a, a sheet of paper, that I, a form that I had created, and I said, here, this is the information I need. And he would talk to the people over the phone, get all this information, fill it out, and I would then have him give it to me. I'd punch all that information in the computer and print out all of the quotes and all the pricing variables. He would pick up the phone, give that information to those people, and they would come in and sign an application and buy one of the options that I had printed out. And he, after time, he's like, you know, I can't give you a commission on this, but if you had your license, I could give you you know, X number of dollars for every one of these policies sold. And it was an attractive price for a young married guy. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go get my license. So I went to school, took the classes, passed my test, and I started selling auto home uh, and business insurance. And now I'm picking up the phone, typing their information in right away, and they're coming and buying it. And I'm not only getting my salary, but I'm getting X number of dollars for every policy that I sold. And I'm kind of, you know, my income is drastically increased And then all of a sudden, he's like, have you ever thought about getting your life license? And I started investigating life and health insurance, and I went and got my life and health license. And before you know it, I'm making lots of money. But I I was smart on the life insurance. I said, listen, here's the deal. I I understand how you want to pay me. I think think it'd be better if you got rid of my salary and paid me a, a percentage of all the all the life or auto and home policies you would sell me. I think I'd probably do more. Uh, he what he wouldn't have that um, <laughs> for whatever reason. So so we didn't go that route. And I said, okay, well here's the deal. I'm not going to get my life insurance license unless I get fifty uh, percent of commission on any premium on, on any commission that comes in from a life insurance policy I sell. And he says, okay, done deal. Well, actually, it took a little bit more negotiating. I said, you realize these will all be policies that I sell that would not have come into the agency. So the 50% that you would earn are is 50% that that commission that money would never come into the agency had I not sold those policies. He's like, "Okay, mm-hmm. done deal." Next thing you know, I become the number one life insurance agent in multiple companies. So so I share all of that to say that um, I got into the family business of insurance through that route. And um, as a result of being in insurance, I discovered that I could actually serve people through my and and I could be ministering in people's lives through the work that I was doing through insurance by selling them insurance policies. Now the thing is is that auto insurance and home insurance, yes, there was there were people that I helped in that way that people had significant accidents and financially they were protected as a result of the insurance policies, people's homes that had burned to the ground or lost in a tornado or storm or, you know, and all those things, their they, their livelihood was protected as a result of those things. But quite honestly, it, those things were not the biggest passion for me because, well, most people were just required to that. People are, people didn't actually say, hey, I need it or, you know, I, I'm not interested in an auto policy. Can you tell me why I should have one? I didn't have to do any quote unquote convincing people of their need for this. Mm-hmm. But boy, there was something about life insurance that really attracted me. This this idea of these people out there have this need that they ha- that they're completely unaware of. And of course, I had this uh, passion for a Dave Ramsey philosophy of buying term insurance and investing the difference, not and, and becoming debt free, so that one day you won't need this term life policy. 
Mm-hmm. And so I had this opportunity on a, on a consistent basis after I had my life insurance license to say, okay, so you're here because you've just purchased a home and you're, and you're required by your mortgage company to have a home insurance policy. And we moved your auto insurance from your other carrier over to us because you get a 20% discount on both policies and the state requires you. But I'd like to ask you, have you ever thought about life insurance? And they're like, oh, we're not interested in that. I'm like, okay, but I'd like to just ask you a question. Do you have any debt or are you completely 100% debt free? And they says, well, no, we have debt. You know, and they said, well, if, if, I mean, it, if, could you tell me how much debt? And they said, well, you know, we have probably, and the average was somewhere between twenty to $60,000 in unsecured debt. And I said, so if something were to happen to you, uh, what would happen to your wife and kids? And I would just ask them some questions. It's like, wow, I, know, I guess I really hadn't thought about that. It's like, well, first of all, you're, you're in debt with your mortgage. You pretty much just put 20% down. What if, what if you could, for $20 a month, not only have your house completely paid in full so that your wife doesn't have to worry about paying a mortgage or losing the house, but also you'd have enough money to put all, all three of your kids through college for four years, and it would only cost you 20 bucks a month. He goes, what? I heard life insurance is like a, over $100. It's like, yeah, that's if you buy this other policy. That's, and, and so I would spend time educating people about how uh, valuable and how necessary insurance is. And I got to tell you, that was one of the favorite things that I did because of my life as an insurance agent uh, and specifically as a life insurance agent, I actually have hundreds, hundreds of people who today are 100% debt free, completely out of debt. And I'm not pleased to say, but unfortunately, there are a lot of people because I was in insurance for 10 years, actually 12 years, but I sold insurance for 10 years. Um, but in the 10 years that I sold those life insurance policies, unfortunately, there were a number of people that I sold policies to who were absolutely adamant that they did not need or want life insurance when I first brought it up. But there are probably at least 50 people that I sold those policies to that have since passed away in the pa- in, in, within the decade. And those families still have a house today. Those livelihoods financially are taken care of in spite of the loss of, their, of the, the, the person that was the financial breadwinner for the family. So in a way, I, I'm so thankful for that experience that I had and the way that I was serving. And I felt like this was, it's like, wow, I, I'm actually doing ministry here. I like this. I love how God has brought this into my life. Now, so everything in my life, hunky-dory, I'm like my own, because of the financial wealth that I'm building as a result of serving so many people through my uh, career as an insurance agent, uh, my, my wife and I, we, we're, we're practicing what we're preaching to these people. We had become debt-free by 2007, except for our mortgage, but you know, we're continually working on that. But we're, we don't owe mm-hmm. any money outside of that. And everything we do, we, we pay cash for. And so it's like, and of course, we're well protected in our insurance. And so financially, my income is increasing and increasing. I'm even working towards where the place where uh, after 10 years of doing insurance, the paperwork is in place that if anything happened to my dad or when my dad retires, all of the legal paperwork is in place for me to be the next person who owns this insurance agency which, by the way, is a multi-million dollar a year income, guaranteed. So that was where I was in, let's just say, December 2005, which that's when my life 
was radically changed and altered and, and, and started going down a path that I never would have dreamed of. And so uh, what happened December 2005, well, actually, let me go back to June of 2005. I, in the summer, I heard about this thing called podcasting. It was brand new. There was only a handful of podcasts, like 10 different podcasts in, in existence at the time. And I'm like, what is this thing po- called podcasting? So I started listening to these audio programs and it's like, wow, this is better than talk radio because number one, I get to choose the topics that I'm listening to. I can finally listen to technology podcasts. I can listen to podcasts about entertainment. I can listen to podcasts about all these other things. It's not just religion and politics and sports, which is all talk radio was. Number two, I can listen to it when I want. I, I can stop in the middle. I don't have to wait until the commercial break. Um, I, I can listen to it wherever I want, whether it's on a plane, a train, or an automobile. It doesn't matter. I can listen to it while I'm doing the dishes. I can listen to it in the, everywhere. And so I'm like, this is incredible. Hmm. And, and what happened was in December, it was right around December. It was right around the time when all the TV shows go into their you know, winter break, if you will. And mm-hmm. my wife had been watching this TV show called Lost. You ever heard of it? Yes. Oh, watched it. Watched every episode. Okay. So my wife started watching the TV show Lost right when it first came on. And I, I remember right the summer before it, I was like, hey, this is like a scripted version of Survivor. And I'm like, how unappealing does that sound? <laughs> and I'm like, first of all, I thought was, I'm pretty sure that Survivor is pretty much scripted. Um, I know there, but anyway, I, and by the way, I've, I think I've only seen, no, I've never seen more than 10 minutes of a, any clip of the TV show survivor in all the years that it's been on. It's just never been appealing to me. Um, yeah. so, so this idea of lost a scripted version of a reality show that that's the way it was promoted. didn't appeal to me. So Stephanie's watching it and she's absolutely loving it. And she's, she's one of those people. It's like, listen, don't interrupt me when lost is on. Because uh, this is before, you know, this, there was DVRs in the day, but but not they weren't. We didn't have one. I don't. We didn't even have HD TV at the time, so right. we we were still looking at a big, huge, square CRT TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anyway, she's like, "Don't interrupt me when Lost is on." Well, I think it was right around. It was December two thousand five, actually November two thousand five. I'm sitting there on the couch one day, and Stephanie's watching Lost, and I have my laptop, and I'm doing some work. And it's one of the, I think it's the final three episodes. So it was the third to last episode. And anybody who's watched Lost, uh, you, you'll remember the finale episodes where all of a sudden they build the raft and half of the people are going to try to go find land and, and let people know the, so they can come and rescue everybody. So they're, they're on the raft and they see this boat and they think that they're rescued, but there's a guy who's known as Mr. Friendly, has this gruffly mm-hmm. voice, and he says, we're going to have to take the boy. And on the other side of the island, the people who are left behind, this guy named John Locke uh, uncovers and digs up this hatch and they they scrape off this dirt from this window and it's night and then all of a sudden they've so there's this underground bunker if you will and through the hatch this light comes on and emanates and shines up to the sky and it's like boom what is this mystery and i'm like okay i am sucked in what is this tv show <laughs> and so i being the tech guy that i am i found a way to 
to start uh, consuming that content. Uh, thankfully, I think at the time, iTunes was just releasing the TV episodes where you could buy them and watch them right after it aired. So I went and downloaded all of the first season. I'm like, this is incredible. And I'm sucked in. And I'm like, hey, I love podcasts. I have fallen in love with this show. And I wonder if there are any podcasts about this. So podcasting had been in existence now for almost a year. And because it started in late, it started, I think, in December 2004 was the first ever technology of podcasting in existence. So it, it um, I'm like, I wonder if this. So there were five. There were five different podcasts devoted mm. to the TV show Lost. And I subscribed to every single episode. And by the way, most of them were about an hour in length. And the ones that weren't, there were a couple that were more than an hour in length every week. And so I was listening to approximately five hours worth of insights and review and and reactions to what has happened to every episode of this TV show. <laughs> I uh, so and, and by the way, th- for those that aren't aware of the TV show Lost, Lost was the most brilliantly written television show in existence at the time. Most Absolutely. most of the television you love today owes its existence to the TV show Lost. What we had is Easter eggs. So the writers of the show included all kinds of hidden clues into the background of the show. There were these numbers, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, which I still remember today. <laughs> That's um, awesome. The number 108 appears everywhere. There were, there were hidden clues like books sitting on a, on a bed on, and, and somebody was reading a book and it, they set it down on the bed. And if it's only shows for just a second on the screen. But if you had an HD TV and you paused it in just the right place and you zoom in, you could actually see the name of that book. And then you go and you go onto Amazon and you look and read the description of that book and you can see how clearly this book will give you some kind of insight to the story that they're telling in the show, the mystery. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's like people have no clue. There are, so there were, so we, we had Losties, which were diehard Lost fans. That's what I was. And then you had what were, we called casual viewers. So the show was absolutely awesome as a casual viewer. But it for anybody who wanted to do a diehard, in-depth review of Lost, there was never an end to how much discussion could happen out of that so i'm consuming all this stuff one i i started blogging about it remember i told see this see how this is all connected um Mm -hmm. i start so i've been blogging since 1996 and i'm like all of a sudden my blog is now becoming a quote-unquote lost blog so i'm blogging about all the things that i'm learning about the tv show and i noticed that my blog readership goes from like maybe 100 hits per month to like 150 200 maybe sometimes even 300 hits per week so mm. my blog readership is going like up and up and up as i'm blogging about the things that i'm learning and i'm blogging about the mysteries and i'm blogging about what i think about the show and one day they have this episode do you, so you watch the show you remember thomas right Yep. Thomas was Claire's boyfriend and they have this uh, Thomas's apartment and he's got this paintings everywhere. Do you remember the paintings throughout his apartment? Yes. And and yes. and Claire's pregnant and she's like how are we going to do this? And he goes 
she's she's like, what are we going to do this on your on your five dollar an hour fish and chip job or whatever? And he says, I've got my painting. And of course, you got all these paintings in, in their murals. Well, inside of the hatch on that. Meanwhile, back on the island inside the hatch, <laughs> there's this mural. Do you remember the mural? Yes. What, yes. Well, compa- I want. Have you ever done this? Did you realize? Do you realize that the mural inside of the hatch is exactly the same style? And and I would. Say, I think there's like eleven different elements. If like different elements that are on the mural inside of the hatch uh, or the bunker, if you will, um, there those elements are also in the murals on Thomas's paintings. <laughs> And remember Dr. Richard Malkin and and how he was this psychic who had this message. He's like, oh, my gosh, this baby is special and blah, blah, blah. And and I had this entire Thomas theory that I did. And I had a blog post with side by side pictures. I had proof for everything. And and then I created a three and a half minute audio file of me speaking out and just sharing what my um, theory was. It's called the Thomas Theory, and I sent it into a podcast called The uh, the Transmission, which was re- uh, created by Ryan and Jenna Zawa in Hawaii. And they said, mm. and, and, they, and they, they, they would oftentimes play audio feedback. I said, listen, guys, I know you don't want audio feedback. That's three and a half minutes, but I think this will be worth it. It's called The Thomas Theory, and I shared it. So they played my voice, which, by the way, their podcast had tens of thousands of subscribers already. Okay, so my three-and-a-half-minute audio clip goes out to tens of thousands of people, and I, in the clip at the end, I mention my blog. My blog readership all of a sudden goes to thousands of hits per month. Thousands. And... <laughs> And not only that, but Entertainment Weekly or EW.com does a featured article that links back to my Thomas theory. Hmm. Entertainment Weekly, which they have millions of hits, right? So what happens as a result of this, Ryan reaches out to me, the, the creator of his, his, the transmission. He goes, listen, me and my wife, we're getting ready to take kind of a hiatus from podcasting for a while. And I can tell you right now, you and your wife, uh, I, I think, I think you should create a podcast. And I think there's a space for another husband and wife uh, duo to kind of fill the void. And you know, I, I'd be happy to promote your show when we talk about taking a hiatus. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't take too much to. Basically, he's saying I think you should create your own podcast. I think you have what it takes based upon this audio clip. And I'm like, it didn't take too much to stroke my ego. And so I, it was, <laughs> de- first, first it was December 5th, no, December 6th, no, December 16th, that's what it was. December, oh, that's my birthday. December 16th, 2005, I released the very first podcast episode uh, uh, that I ever produced. And I, when I first thought about it, it's like, okay, well, I know that people said they'd love to have a lost podcast, but there are already five of them. I'm like, what, what are my passions? I, I'm passionate about technology. I'm passionate about my faith. And I'm passionate about the TV show Lost. But how can I go up? I mean, all, t- Tony Evans, Chuck Swindoll, um, Ravi Zacharias. I mean, all of these people, they already got the faith element covered in the podcasting space. Although they were doing podcasting wrong at the time. They've since corrected it. But uh, they were doing podcasting wrong at the time. But still, it was out there. Uh, And there's no way I could do faith any justice compared to what they're doing. So that was my mindset at the time. And as far as technology, well, 
the very first podcasts were technology, and the people who were doing technology podcasts know a whole lot more about technology than I could ever cover it. So that was my mindset at the time. So I didn't want to do that. And then, of course, when it came to loss, it's like, listen, these people are already putting out hours of podcasts about content about loss. I'm just rehashing what I'm learning from them. It's like, so who am I to create a podcast about loss? So what am I going to do? So I created this podcast, and I figured I'm going to call it Generally Speaking. And my thinking is that, okay, if 50 people are going to hear me, that's that would be a total win. And I'm not even expecting 50 people to download my show, right? So um, what happens was I, I went, to the, went out to my audience. I said, this is generally speaking. I thought I would do a podcast. These are the three things I'm passionate about. I don't think I have enough to bring to the table for any one of the topics. So I'm just going to randomly put out episodes And here's what I want you to do. If you're interested in any of these three topics, subscribe to the Generally Speaking podcast today. And in the title of each episode, it'll either say Lost and then the title, Technology and the title, or Faith in the title. And and if you're not interested in my faith or technology, but you want to hear about Lost, just delete all the episodes that don't start with the word Lost. That makes pretty much sense, right? Mm-hmm. So I so I ex- describe what the podcast is, and then once I've done that, I then say, okay, and now the rest of this first episode is going to be about the TV show Lost. And so I talk about an overview of the show Lost and, and whatever, and then I publish my first episode. Again, my expectation, if I had 50 people download this within the first six months, it would be a total win. Well, uh, hundreds of people downloaded the first episode. And I'm like, what the heck? And people started emailing me, Cliff, I love your podcast. I love the way you talk about Lost. Please do me a favor. I could care less about hearing you talk about technology. I could care less about your faith. All I want to hear, I want to hear a podcast just about Lost, where every episode is about Lost from your perspective. And Mm. not just one person, but lots of people emailed me that. And I'm like, Okay. Now, the thing is, is here's the thing. I'm still just as passionate about my faith and about technology, and I still want to talk about those things. So I came back with the second episode, and I told my wife about it. I said, Stephanie, would you be interested? Will you be, would you be willing to sit down once a week and record a podcast with me where you and I together talk about the TV show Lost Together? She goes, sure, I'll do that. She had no idea what she was in for. So, so we came back the second week and I said, hello everybody and welcome to the weekly lost edition of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. And I didn't even know what I was saying, but all of a sudden in my mind, it's like, listen, I know I'm going to do other shows about technology and, and other things I'm passionate about, but this is going to be the lost podcast of our network. And so we started that, by the way. The remember I told you there were five different shows that had podcasted about the TV show Lost before me. Mm-hmm. Well, they all had their own podcast feed, but they all also had this idea to get together to create one feed to serve the entire Lost community. It was called the Lost Podcast Network, and it was just a blogger account where everybody who has a Lost podcaster who was approved to be a part of the network could sign in and also publish their. You could publish it on your own podcast feed, but you could also publish it to theirs. And so they invited me after my second episode with Stephanie, they invited me to the network. So my third podcast episode, it was my second one with Stephanie, we put it out to our audience, which already had a few hundred subscribers. However, 
that third episode was also published to the Lost Podcast Network, which means that our by our third podcast episode, we already had 27,000 people around the world listening to us talk about the TV show Lost. Jeez. Wow. Tw- wow. 20, now, imagine this. This is a guy in northern Kentucky who nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> All right? This is a guy who's been blogging since it was since before it was called blogging. This is a guy who gets excited because there was a, you know, that 50 people, more than 50 people wanted to hear a podcast. And now all of a sudden we have can, can you imagine 27,000 people listening to you for over an hour every week. Mm. And here's the deal. The TV, I, I know that this is a faith-based podcast and philosophy and all this other stuff, but I promise you this is all important uh, because it's how God worked in my life and, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. taught me about this journey. So, And by the way, I guess this is not the Reader's Digest version. You're getting the full version. <laughs> that is okay, my friend. Keep going. D- does anybody ever question whether or not I like to talk? I don't think so. <laughs> so here's the deal. Um the TV show Lost, why is it that it was so appealing to my wife and I? Well, first of all, remember, I have this heart for ministry. I have this heart for teaching, for sharing, for encouraging, for educating, for inspiring others, right? Well, the TV show Lost has themes. Every episode had a title. So one episode was titled, All Good Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. Do you remember that episode? The title rings a bell. So, just imagine, uh, what what do you think that episode, the theme of, of that episode is? Um, the relationship between fathers and sons? Exactly. And, Sean, let me ask you this. Are you a good cowboy? Hmm. Are you a good guy? Some, some days, yes. Have you ever had issues with you between you and your dad? Oh, heavens, yes. So, all good cowboys have daddy issues. Well, here's the deal. Um, it, it, from my perspective, number one, uh, my biological dad, which with whom I love, he's unfortunately since passed, but, um, my, my mom remarried when I was like six years old, but I can tell you right now, I remember my childhood. My dad was an alcoholic my entire life. Uh, my dad was a very hardcore drug addict. Okay. So, um, and when he got off the illegal drugs, he just moved over to prescription drugs. So my mm. now I can tell you right now, as a result of my dad and his preferred lifestyle at the time, I can tell you that I grew up in some pretty interesting environments and also experienced some pretty interesting ex- had some very interesting experiences. I mean, it, it, mm. I I don't want to say anything to disparage my dad, but let's just say it was it was a colorful lifestyle as a child uh, mm-hmm. that I grew up with. So I had some daddy issues, and then of course you know I I have a stepdad who loves me, who cares for me, but but who sometimes is you know it, it it's just like wow how do, how do I handle this? I, so I do. The TV show is saying t- daddy issues. So we're talking about the show. We're talking about the hitting ist- Easter eggs. But we're also, I'm also sharing in the story how I resonate with what the theme of this show is. And then Stephanie's talking about her own daddy issues. And, and people are resonating with that. And they're like, oh, my gosh, people never authentically talk about this stuff. 
This mm-hmm. is this is stuff, man. I can't believe you shared about how your dad, one, you know, di- one day said or did this, and and you witnessed that, and how that impacted the way that you thought about life. Until eventually, one day, you realize, wow, that's why I think that way. And today, I've discovered that there's a different way to experience and think about life. But nobody ever talks about that stuff. How how can you talk about that openly in a podcast? Well. That's who I am. That's what I want to do. I want to authentically share my life and what I've experienced in a way that it, that entertains, educates, encourages, and inspires others, so that they'll become more of who God created them to be. So, there, so there was another episode called Tabula Rasa, that actually translates to uh, clean slate, starting over with a clean slate, and what, what the whole story of loss is the story of redemption. And so yeah. we talk about this idea that, hey, let's talk about the fact that we've all make, made mistakes. Our, our past does not equal our future. That is not mm-hmm. an equation. There are so many people who believe that I can't do this because I've always done that. This is – and it's like, it's like no, I'm sorry. There's no way I can do that because I've never been able to do that. I've tried everything. This is who I am. And it's like, mm-hmm. uh, tabula rasa, buddy. Start over today. You can start today with a clean slate. One of my one of my biggest frustrations are people who say, hey, okay, I'm so inspired, Cliff, by what you've done with your health and fitness journey. I'm going to start on January 1st. Or I'm going to start December 1st. Or I'm going to start next Monday. I'm like, why not start right this minute? That's right. That's right. Why don't you just do Tableau Rasa right now? And so imagine me having those kind of conversations in this Lost podcast. So, so people are getting they're, – they're getting all of their entertainment. They're getting their Easter eggs. They're getting their hidden clues that they missed out on because I spent hours researching it all. I'm, I'm, I'm totally building them up you know, to be the kings and queens of the water cooler. But at the same time, what am I doing? I'm, a, I'm sharing authentically – who God created me to be in hopes that it will entertain them, educate them, encourage them, and inspire them. And as a result of that, people, guess what? When you have 27,000 people around the world listening to that kind of content that you're putting out into the world, and you tell people that they can reach you and give you email, guess what? They start emailing you. And I have people emailing say, Cliff, oh my gosh, I am so thankful for the story that you shared. Uh, and I have one person email me. They must have missed the first episode where I mentioned at the time I'm an associate pastor. Uh, but uh, it was about 15, 20 episodes in. One guy says, hey, Cliff, can you t- I-, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I listen to you and your wife and your podcast, and I love it. Oh, my gosh, do I resonate with so much. I get this suspicion. I hope that you're not offended by this, but I get the suspicion that you and your wife are Christian. Am I right? And I wrote <laughs> back to that person. I said, well, yeah, we are. And um, they, and then this person writes me back. And if I were to print out the email, it probably would have been about a 15-page mess uh, uh, letter if I would have printed it on the printer. And I read this whole thing. And here I am at this point. I'd been in ministry for a very long time in, in an official capacity. And I got to tell you, Sean, I had never in all of my years of ministry ever had anybody open up that authentically with me before. And share mm. what they're struggling with about what they what their true thoughts and feelings and doubts and emotions are about their experience with God. It, well, there's a there's a signpost for you. Uh huh. And so what happened was, 
uh, I read this message and and dude, I started writing back. I probably spent about eight or nine hours on my reply to this person, and it just I this is like ministry. Wow, mm-hmm. this is what I felt called to. And yeah. and those those emails started coming in like crazy. And I'm starting to spend like 20, 30, 40 hours a week not just producing this content, but also interacting and engaging and doing ministry to an audience of people in Hong Kong, in I, I mean everywhere, Sri Lanka. I I had no idea where some of these places were on the map, but here I am <laughs> ministering to Tens of thousands, and by the way, before the before that podcast ended, which I think we did well over two hundred, we might have done two hundred and sixty two episodes. Um, it doesn't matter. But the thing is, is before the end of that show, we had reached an audience size of uh, more than sixty thousand subscribers. Wow! So, wow. so here's the deal. I, what happened was in it was in two thousand six somewhere. Um, I was just devoting so much time effort and energy to this hobby if you will and i felt like man what if what would life be like if i could do this for a living instead of insurance that's now i would never speak that out loud to anybody at the time but all of a sudden i started to have those thoughts that feeling and what also was happening was at this time i i had since left the nazarene church but we had moved on to this other big huge mega church and one thing they wanted to do was to get me into their church board so that we, I would, they would have voting power and block, it, it, this whole political thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and they said, but here's the deal, Cliff. If you do this, the, not only will you be the pastor of small groups, which you know, you're going to facilitate your own small group and you're, you're going to actually facilitate meetings of all the other leaders of small groups, which already took up a lot of time right throughout the week. That was my quote-unquote official ministry capacity. They said that we want now we want to elevate you into church a church board position, and if you do this, one of the requirements to be on the church board is that you have to show up to every service, which there are three every weekend, and also you have to be av- uh, during the winter you have to be available to show up to help shovel snow, uh, and also once a month you have to deliver communion to the, the to the shut-ins, and I said thank you for you know for your whatever it is that you have in me, but no, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, I've, I'm already committed to three hours a week of, of doing stuff here for it in the capacity that I have. I have my full-time career as an insurance agent. I have a wife and three young kids. And I also have this stuff that I'm doing with my podcast. And they said, oh yeah, we want to talk to you about that. We realize we've been noticing that you, I mean, it's, it seems like even here, all you talk about is this lost TV show and, and you talk about this podcast all the time. And it seems like that's really your main focus right now. And they began, they said, hey, we, uh, we wanted to talk to you about that anyway. And when, and when it's we, it's, it's, it's my direct pastor and, and his leadership team, which is two other people, right? So these two, these three guys get me into this office and they say, we kind of feel like we need to ask you of something. Where are your priorities today? And do you feel like maybe you're, you're off track of where God might, might be, you know, calling you? Um, and, and so they're calling my, my priorities into question, right? And they said, we, we think that it might be wise for you to take some time to seriously consider and seriously pray 
on whether or not you're being distracted from your God's calling in your life because obviously this is you, you've expressed this is what God's calling for you to eventually be a minister. We're offering you this next step that's obviously going to lead you to you know big things in in that arena, but yet you're turning it down because of this. It seems to me like I think your your priorities are out of line. Well, here's what happened. At the time, my mindset is so hardcore on these are my elders, these are my spiritual leaders, these are the guys who are looking out for me, prayerfully uh, pastoring me, leading me down the, the, the right path, right? So so as soon as they do this, I'm crushed. I'm like, man. Oh, my God. And it, I don't want to interrupt your story, but I'm glad you got to this point because when I heard you tell that part of your story on that on that particular episode you did with your wife that I watched a couple of weeks ago, that part of the story bothered me so profoundly as a pastor. Um, because here you've got somebody in front of you who's, who's clearly got a, a deep sense of faith, but also has a deep-seated passion about something. And to, to have the audacity to suggest that you give it up rather than trying to find a way to connect those two things, your call to ministry and your passion, so you could make it work. I, I was I was so abhorrently disappointed uh, in the leadership of that church for for communicating to you about this the way they did. Um, those are, those are the reasons people leave churches. Well, and and well, <laughs> and of course that's part of my that is part of my story as well. But uh, so yes, I'm I'm glad that you're appalled by that, and as everyone should be, in my opinion. Yeah. But but, the, but it's still part of my story. So what happened was I was like, I was devastated. And I'm, I'm like, these guys are absolutely right. And and yeah, I guess if I were in their position, I've been taught to think this way. And, and I would see that as a distraction. And obviously, I'm being enticed by this fame and fandom and all this other stuff. And it's all about ego driven. And, and so this must be Satan trying to get me to go off the straight and narrow in the path that God's clearly called me to, to be in this official pastor position. Right. Yeah. So what happens was I, at first I'm like, okay, these guys are obviously right. Who am I to question their leadership and their authority spiritually? So what do I do? I actually quit podcasting. I I went and shut down all my podcasting efforts. (sighs) And I will tell you that um, on Monday morning, I woke up, I, I, I did not wake up at my normal time. I woke up like five minutes before I had to be at work, finally got myself out of bed, um, got, you know, did my morning routine and went to work. I showed up about 10, 15 minutes late. I was there all day long, but I was only there physically, was not mm. there. I was not there emotionally. I was yeah. not there mentally. I was there physically. And all I could think about all day long, I was like, okay, I've got eight hours I need to put in today. How many hours are there left before I can go home and go to bed? Not, oh, how, not, yeah. not, not, how many, how, not how many hours until I can go have lunch and spend time with my wife and kids. Not how many hours can I get until dinner time where I can enjoy my family. Not how many times, not how many hours, no. How many hours till I can go to bed and get rid of the, the emptiness that's inside of me, that feeling. And so, yeah. I, so I went, I, I finished out that day did hardly anything. Um, people are emailing me. I'm just, I'm ignoring them because I, I mean, all of that stuff is just a part of things that I need to just wash myself free from. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I go home, I go to bed and I repeat that every day, literally lifeless for an entire week. 
There was yeah. there was no life in me. And I I prayed and I I had by the way, prior to that, I don't think that I'd ever really significantly understood what depression was. But I I I can tell you right now, in hindsight, I was as depressed as anybody I, I, I never thought about taking my life, but I was depressed. I was sure. I was absolutely depressed. And after mm-hmm. a week, I'm like, okay, no, 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 I no, I'm going to start back. And I went in, I went in a, a week and a half later uh, to those same people, and I said, guys, wow, thank you so much for what you shared with me in our last meeting. I want to let you know that I've taken some extreme amount of time to pray about this. And, and you are absolutely right. I have allowed my quote-unquote ego to get in the way. My pursuit of some fame one day to get in the way. The pursuit of a title to get in the way. I, the, and, and, and you're right. There is this calling in my life to ministry and serving others. And, and it's, obviously, it's obvious that God has clearly opened a path for me to pursue that in a way that's bigger than I ever dreamed possible. And I allowed myself to be consistently tempted to be distracted from that. And, and I've made a decision based upon your uh, instructing me to go and pray about my priorities. And, and I, I come to you with an absolutely clear conscience. I am now resigning effective immediately from every position within this organization. I'm not leading the small group. I'm not leading the leaders of small groups. I am not in any position in any way, shape, or form. I am now divesting myself of all official ministry ties within this congregation. Uh, my wife and I may continue to, continue to attend for a couple weeks. Not quite sure about that, but effective immediately, I'm leaving these positions so that God I can you, brother. so Good that I you. can go do what God has called me to do. Absolutely. And and so I, I will tell you, my life has been radical since then. And of course, I devoted more time, effort, and energy into the podcasting. We created more shows. I devoted more time into serving those people who were emailing me. And eventually, I started to actually share out loud in my podcast this idea of, I wonder what life would be like if I could do this. I know it's, and I said this because this is my mindset at the time, I know it's irresponsible. I know this is crazy. I know that nobody should ever think this. I've got the biggest well-paying job. There's no, Talk about job security. Nobody has it like I do. The income mm. level, nobody has it like I do. This is incredible. But man, my heart, boy, if you were to ask me, what, what if, if money were no object, what would you do? I would do podcasting. I would, I, and it wasn't podcasting. I would, I would create content. I would do things that entertained, educated, encouraged, and inspired others. That's what I want to do for a living. And I want to do it on a bigger scale. I want to do it on a massive scale, bigger than an insurance agent, bigger than the head pastor of a church. I want to do it for tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, and I have a platform that would allow me to do that. But I have Mm -hmm. no idea how to get paid for it. And I started, to, I, I started to share that with my audience openly in various different podcasts. And people are like, Cliff, I got to tell you, man, 
I'm an entrepreneur. I, I've never had a day job. I, I've never had an employer. Let me tell you how all of these things are possible with the gifts, talents, and, and experience that you have. Boy, let me, and so people would like, Cliff, can I schedule an hour-long call with you to just mentor you on how you could do this? People who are millionaires, multimillionaires, are reaching out to encourage and inspire me to take the bold action, to leave my day job behind just like I left the ministry job behind. And I'm like, every time I had those conversations, I'd come home and tell my wife about them. And I'm like, she's becoming convinced. Me, not so much. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Crazy thing is, is guess what? I'm already making two or $3,000 a month from my podcasting efforts, from advertisers, from affiliate commissions, and yes, people who are actually paying me to teach them how to podcast. They're like, Cliff, how can I create a show like you have done? And I used to do it for free, and people said, Cliff, you should charge for this. And I started charging for it. And people said, you should charge more for this. And I started charging more for this. And people said, you should charge more for this. And I started charging more for this. And I'm making, you know, I'm making several thousand dollars per month. But I'm thinking, there's no, I mean, this, this is just a fluke. Eventually, people are going to get wise to the fact that this is a crazy thing that I'm doing, right? And so, but but eventually one day, I, I you just in the same way that I became miserable in in the idea that I I couldn't podcast, I must pursue this other position. The the reality is, I got to the place where I I went from seeing my my podcasting hobby as a distraction from ministry and the day job. I then first I saw it as a distraction from my true ministry, and that's why I left the official church position. But I a couple months later. I got to the place where it's like, wait a second, okay, this day job as an insurance agent, this is a real distraction from what God's really calling me to do. And because mm-hmm. of that, I and, and that grew and grew. I call it holy discontent. I, mm-hmm. I, I really believe that God said, Cliff, I do not want you here anymore. I want you out of this business. I want you out of the lifestyle of the insurance agent. I'm calling you to step out of the boat and to walk on some water and have faith and trust in me. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. one day I had this terrible experience. It was September of 2007, and my wife, I come home, and I share with her about this frustrating day. It's like, this is the worst day ever. I'm hate, I hate my job. I hate this, blah, 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 blah. And my wife says, that's it. And I'm like, what? She goes, you're going in tomorrow and you're putting your notice in. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you're gonna, you're, tomorrow you're telling your dad that you're going to put your notice in, to get, however long it takes, 90 days. And I'm like, and so you go in tomorrow. You, she says, I need my husband back. The kids need their father back. Uh, we both know that you can do this, and we both know that this is what God's calling you to do. She says, we're debt-free. Um, if we have to sell the house and rent for a while, we'll do that. If I, by the way, my my wife is a stay at home mom of three young kids at the time, all of them under the age of eight. She's been oh a, <laughs> she's been a stay at home mom ever since our second child was born, and she's like, if I have to go out and get a job part time for a while to help pay the bills, put food on the table, we will do whatever it takes. You are quitting your job tomorrow. And God bless her. Good we, Lord. We prayed about it, made that decision right then and there, and recorded a podcast episode and immediately published it and to the world that I was going to go in the next day before I even talked to my dad. And I knew I had to do that because I, I figured if I publish this thing, I'm definitely going to have to go and do it because I can't tell people I'm going to do something and then lot. It's like I, my I, integrity says that I'd have to go and do what I told everybody that I was going to do. So. I went in the next morning. I thought my dad was going to talk me out of it anyway. 
so I, I, I kind of felt like it was a safe thing. And I went in and I'm, I'm thinking, my, this is my stepdad. But um, I tell my dad, which by the way, he's my real dad today. Not that that's a big story that has to be a part of this podcast. Everybody doesn't have to know everything about me right now. Just subscribe to the Cliff Ravenscraft show. If you want to hear more, you can hear all about me every single week because yes. it's, it's a yes. fun journey, my friends. So, yes. so real quickly though, I went into the next day and I said, dad, I'm putting in my notice. He goes, gosh. I've been waiting for this. It's about time. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, dude, I've been waiting for you to make this decision. He goes, I, I knew it was coming. I just, didn't, I, I just didn't know when. But yeah, congratulations. He goes, I'm excited for you. He goes, dude, here, here's what I, I'm, this is an abbreviated version. Believe that, me giving an abbreviated, abbreviated version of anything. <laughs> but he says, basically, he says, Cliff, here's what I can tell you. Uh, number one, if you go out and it doesn't work out, you can always come back here. That, that, you always have a job here. However, what I can tell you is that you're never going to come back here. What you're going to do has every indication that it will succeed. And, and by the way, and he says, Cliff, you know how much money you would make if you stay here and eventually take over the agency when I retire. And I said, yeah. And he said these words. He goes, I'm going to tell you right now, you will, t- you will make exponentially more money doing what you're ready getting ready to go do than you could ever dream of making as an insurance as the owner of this agency now i'm talking multiple millions of dollars a year of income is what he's saying i'm going to make exponentially more those were the words of my dad when i told him i was putting my 90-day notice in now I will tell you that my first year wasn't a financial amazing success in my uh, my own business, but what I can tell you is that it has been an incredible journey, and today um, we're very near to the first, uh, we're, we're very near to the 1x of what I would have made if I, by the way, my dad's since retired, sold the agency. I would, if I owned the agency today, I'd be making three to four million dollars a year. Um, mm. I have not, I, I'm at the place where I'm about ready to hit my first million dollars a year. Wow. Good for you. And the thing is, is I'm doing it, serving people through ministry and it, it this is the greatest life I could have ever dreamed of. And it only gets better every single day. So that's my story. Ah. Thank you for sharing it as, as completely as you did, because leaving any of that out would would have made parts of it incomplete. Um, it's an amazing story, and it's an inspirational one. And I think for anybody who feels stuck in doing something that effectively for them is going through the motions, and I know a ton of people who have been or are in that space that you were, where just getting up in the morning, you're, almost your first thought after you get up is, when do I get to go to bed again? I mean, I've, I've heard that from people and that is just the worst place to be in because as you, you use the word lifeless, I mean, that's how it feels. And to, to be going through life lifeless, uh, and without joy is, is, oh God, it's one of the, the most bottomless pit kind of feelings you can have. Um, so I'm thankful for you that you, you, you found your passion, you answered your calling, you had the courage to do it. Uh, your wife supported you <laughs> in ways that are astounding and phenomenal and thank God for her. Um, but that you've done it. And, and now look, you, you are immersed in joy every day and you get to minister to the world through your own voice, through your own talents and your own gifts that God gave you. And here you are, um, being 
abundantly successful in that. And, and that's, that's more than, uh, we could hope for anybody, but it's always what we hope for everybody. So thank you for that. That's, and good for you. I'm, I'm very, very happy for you. And I'm, I'm happy that you're here with me to share it. Um, so let's get into the five questions now that we've, we've got your story and, and we see what you do in your life brings you joy. Um, let me ask you my first of the five questions, which is for you, Cliff Ravenscraft, what is your personal definition of what joy is? All right, so I've, I've, I saw the five questions that you were going to ask me ahead of time. And if you don't mind, Sean, can I ask you to do something maybe a little un, unconventional and ask you to ask me all five questions at the same time? Because my answers, my answers will bleed over all of them. <laughs> sure. So okay. what are the five so the, questions? The five questions are, what is your personal definition of joy? How is joy different from happiness, if it is for you? Um, what brings you joy? Why is joy important as something that's part of the human experience in the human journey? And then finally, what do you perceive through your own life's journey as things that can be obstacles or roadblocks to joy? And how do we move through them and overcome them to get back to a place of joy again? Okay, awesome. First two questions. I, I First of all, I do not see a major difference or dichotomy between joy and happiness. Um, I know that um, there, there's, I, I, I'd love to argue what I used to believe, which is joy is something you can experience 24-7, seven days a week, no matter what your circumstances are, and happiness is something that you feel, and you may be angry, you may be upset, uh, some circumstance may be completely off that, that doesn't allow you to quote-unquote feel happy, but you still are able to experience the joy of the Lord. Uh, right. You know, so I, for me... I, I feel like, uh, matter of fact, if you Stephanie and I were talking about this on the way home from the gym, which, by the way, is joy for me and happiness. Uh, going to conversations with my wife on the way to and from the gym are extremely happy times for me. So um, I asked her, you know, what do you think? And of course, she she's along the lines of what everybody might say, you know. But we, I said, look up, look up the definition of joy. Uh, just what, how is it defined in a dictionary? And it says feelings of. Of, of, of great feelings and, and happiness. So the word happiness is in the definition of joy. So if happiness is a feeling, then I believe that for me, joy is a feeling as well. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think joy and happiness are emotions and I think they are both a choice that we can make. And um, I, I think we, we can actually choose, if we want to, to be joyful all of the time. Which, by the way, most people would never argue with. Would you agree that, with that, that most people would say, it is possible to experience joy all of the time? I do believe there are people who firmly believe that is true, yes. Okay. So, so, th- so there are plenty of people, but, but those same people who will tell you that, that it's possible to experience joy even through the most difficult circumstances. Uh, so those people say, well, what if you were a, a prisoner in, in, in a concentration camp in World War II? Um, well, it, you know, is it possible to have joy but not be happy? And, and there are some people who say, yes, it is possible to experience the joy of the Lord but but obviously you would not be happy, um, and I I would say that what I've learned through some experiences that I've had and some information and evaluating my intentional thoughts about joy and happiness, 
I believe that both joy and happiness are decisions and that you can choose if you want to be joyful in any situation. And I think if you wanted to, you can actually choose to be happy in any situation. Now, you may, for obvious reasons, choose not to be happy, uh, but I think that both are a choice no matter what. So one of the books that really opened my eyes to this is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who happens to be a guy who lived through the concentration camps and gives a very, very, uh, uh, very real and authentic description of exactly what life was like on a daily basis there. And he talks about why, his, his understanding is why is it that some people were able to live through that experience and come out alive, whereas some people who came into the concentration camps with the expectation that their life was over and that they would die, that they were the ones who basically withered up and died. Um, mm. and, and the, the thing is, is that what happened was it's, it was man's search for meaning. And that is, what is the meaning of what I'm, I am experiencing right now? And if you if your meaning that you associate to being in this concentration camp is that I am here, that means life is over. The world is evil. I'm, I'm dead. My life is over. Those people have made a decision and therefore they were they could not find joy they could not find any happiness of of this circumstance therefore the, the life had lost meaning and therefore they died however um he talks about in in he himself there were people who simply would not associate the same meaning as those people. So these people had actually said I'm going to define the meaning of what I'm experiencing here is wow there are some people on this earth who are so mentally warped and have been so mentally manipulated by other people that they think that this is normal, that they think that this is okay. And some people even think that this is the right thing to do. And that is so warped. And, and those people also had the meaning of life that said, you know what? But there is so much good in this world. There is so much love that could be experienced. And if nothing else, my purpose, my meaning in life right now is to live through the most horrid, most disgusting, most vile things that human beings could ever do and to make it out alive so that I can tell this story so that this never happens again in the world's history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those people were able to experience joy through their suffering. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and if you want, there it's as crazy. Some of those people were able to make a decision to be happy, and 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 sometimes you have to because if you don't experience that joy, if you don't experience, if you live a life of void of joy and happiness, what else is there? There's only the negatives, and yeah. and you can't continue on. You can't make it through years of that kind of thing if you can't assign a different meaning. So. I've come to the place where where I do believe that we can make a decision to be joyful in all circumstances. I think we can find a meaning out of all of the bad in our life. The you know, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a child, the loss of our own physical health if we have cancer. There, I, I think of all the people who out there that have so many things that are worse than I've ever dreamed of. I, Nick Vayachuk, have you ever heard of him? 
No. I, I don't know how to spell as see, – see if you can just try to take my, my pronunciation. And if you Google Nick Vayachuk, um, I don't know how to pronounce it. I guarantee you you'll find the guy. But he's a guy who actually lives his life. He has no arms and no legs. And this guy is a motivational, inspirational speaker. Mm. All right? This is a guy who is happy and chooses happiness and chooses joy. In spite of every limitation you could possibly imagine, and there's not, he's not the only one. There are hundreds, if not thousands of stories of people who have life way worse than any circumstance that you and I will ever be faced with, and yet they choose to be happy. And so, uh, so the first question is, what brings me joy? What brings me joy? I've defined what brings me joy is where I am in a place where no matter what my experiences are, whatever I'm experiencing in life, my past experiences, my current experiences, all of the experiences that I have life, good and bad, what brings me joy and what brings me happiness is whenever I can take those experiences and share with others what I'm learning in a way that is entertaining, educational, encouraging, and inspirational to others. So if I'm experiencing something awesome, I want to tell people the story of what I've experienced, kind of like what I've done here today. I've shared an awesome experience that I that I hope that was entertaining for folks that were listening to this, that was educational. There's some educational bits in there if you look for the, the nuggets. Oh, sure. There, there, there was some encouragement. Wow, I wonder if, if Cliff could do that. I wonder if I could. And I want to inspire you to say, heck yeah, you can. If Cliff Ravenscraft can do it, you absolutely can. Because I'm just a guy in northern Kentucky never, nobody had ever heard of. All right? But uh, yes, you can do it. So now the thing is, though, guess what? I've had some really terrible experiences in life. And, and I'm able to still have happiness and joy because I can take all of those terrible experiences. The time where I worked myself around the clock my first year in my business and almost died in the hospital. I can tell you right now, I am joyful, thankful, and happy that I almost died in the hospital. Why? Because today I can help everyone else Make sure that they avoid that. If they would just listen to me and stop working 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, around the clock, you have to stop that. Let me explain to you why, what this is doing to your body. I am happy that I had that experience in life. Now, it took me, sometimes, you, have you ever heard that, this, that, that th- saying, well, you probably have experienced this. Have you ever had a painful, very hurtful experience that made you angry, mad, or upset at some point in your life, but man, today you're able to look back and laugh at it? Oh, of course, yes. All right, so what if you actually said, hey, one day in the future, I'm probably gonna look back and laugh at this. Well, why not choose to make that day today? Mm-hmm, So, yes. So choose to be happy today, find the meaning. And so that's, that. Uh, yeah, anyway, so first question is, what fi- brings me joy to take all of my experiences? What am I learning from the experiences that I'm having, good or bad? Can I share that in a way that is entertaining, educational, encouraging, and inspirational to others that causes them to do or think something that's going to lead them to becoming more of who God created them to be? That brings me joy. That brings me happiness. And every single day in all of the good and all of the bad that's going to happen to me, I'm happy to always, I'm going to look for the good in everything that's going to come out of it. So that's what brings me joy. I don't necessarily see a lot of difference between joy and happiness. I think they're two words for the same feeling. I think they're both, for me, I think they're both things that we can choose to do. What's the third question? 
Um, well, the third question you've already answered. What what brings you joy? Okay, what's the fourth um, question? Fourth question is why do you think joy is important as something for people to experience? Uh, well, joy is important because it's why we get up in the morning. It's it's what drives us. It's what motivates us. It's um, we're drawn to joy. Joy is. Oh, I love that. We're drawn to it because it. it it's what God experiences. God experiences joy. He's he's happy. It, he's he want. I think God desires us to be happy, to be full of joy. Uh, I would agree. If if you're a parent, if you're a father or a mother, I'm pretty sure that you don't wake up in the morning. It's like, well, you know what? I I want my children to experience some joy today. But I hope they at least have a little bit of unhappiness or frustration or anger, just because we just need to keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I've never woken up and thought that. All right. No, so, me neither. so, me so I can tell you right now, I, as a father, desire for my children to experience joy and happiness all the days of their life. Mm-hmm. That, that that's what I experience. I I experience. I I desire that. And if I think about all of the commandments and all the rules that God has given us, I don't look at those as negative things like I used to. I look at all of all those things as why does God tell us we should avoid this or why we should do this? I think it's because He wants us to avoid all of the pitfalls in life. He wants he wants us to avoid this or that because he knows that ultimately those things are bad for us. Or he wants me he wants me to go and do these things because he knows that those things are going to lead to joy and happiness and 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 great relationships with others. And so if I look at all of the laws or commandments or the rules that God's ever dictated, it, it's because of his love for us and what he wants us to experience in this world. And I, I, I believe that God has come to give life and to give it more abundantly. And I don't think it's just when we die. So yeah. I think that God wants us to have an abundant life. And I think of when I think of an abundant life, I think a life abundantly full of joy and happiness. Now, yes. I, I think that that should be the pursuit. I think this is important. And if you if you suck all joy and all happiness out of your life, what are you left with? And boy, uh, good luck just trying to stay in bed all day. And unfortunately, there are way too many people to do that. And so yeah. I say I say joy and happiness is important because it, it's how we were designed. We were design, designed for it. Yes. All right. And then question yes. number five is what what are well, the obstacles that stand in our way? Yes. I can tell you right now, it, I've learned it's three things. Number one, it is our physiology, the way that we use our body. Uh, number two, it is our focus. And number three, it is our language. Those are the three things that actually keep us from experiencing joy and happiness in our life. Number one, our physiology. Here's what I can tell you. If, if, I want you to do me a favor, Sean. I want you to tell me, have you ever, have you ever been depressed in your life or have you ever known somebody that's depressed? I have been. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. Tell me what is how when they're sitting in a chair, how how are they sitting? What what's their body look like when they're sitting as as a depressed person? Oh, every bit and when I was depressed my own body language is the same. You're slouched. Uh you 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 sort of cave into yourself. You don't tend to look people in the eye. Um yeah, you sort of shrivel up into a shell of yourself yep. physically. So physically, you, you, you're describing. I'm, I'm doing it right now. I'm kind of just slumping <laughs> over, and and okay. So uh, breathing. How are somebody who's depressed? How are they breathing? Are they breathing full, big, huge breaths, or are they breathing shallow? 
They, well, certainly shallow with the occasional really long sigh. Yeah, yeah. And those really long sighs are probably because they are so oxygen-deprived that their body requires for them to take at least... (sighs) Right? Yeah. Yep. 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 But but everything else, shallow breath... Maybe a little anger about what's happened to them or a little anxiety and stress about what's happening or going on or what might happen. Uh, okay, what's their face like? What, what, is their, what are their uh, the facial expression? What's going on in their face? Describe their well, mouth and features. Sure. I mean, if, if it's not a, a face that is strained, um, that looks like they're physically trying to lift something very, very heavy, um, if it's not that, it's just blank. Blank. They're maybe they're frowning or their their facial speed. It just drooping. Mm-hmm. Exact uh, drooping. Yes. Now I mm-hmm. I encourage any listener listening right now. I, I'm doing it right now. I, and and I don't know if you can tell a difference in my voice. I'm not. I'm not depressed. I'm not unhappy. But do I sound different? I'm, I'm breathing shallow. I'm not breathing heavy breaths. I'm slumped yeah. over. My face. Yeah, the, vi- the vitality in your voice the, is gone. Yeah. I, I, I want to encourage anybody to just do all of these things. Change your face. This, this is all physiology. Just shallow breaths. No deep breathing. All shallow breaths. And I want you to just take your uh, just lifeless body, lifeless face. I'm frowning. I'm the, even the way that I'm talking, the forming words is different. It's, uh, I, and, and I'm not unhappy. But if I do this long enough, guess what? I'm going to get depressed. Yeah. 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 Now, the thing is, I want, I want to encourage anybody – now to sit up straight, wiggle your, you know, wiggle your, you know what? Get out of your seat for just a minute. If you're not driving, do this the next time you stand up. And I want you to, I want you to stand up, and I'm going to tell you, do this. I want you to wiggle your butt. Seriously, <laughs> wiggle your butt like you're dancing. Nobody's around you. Wiggle your butt. Take your shoulders. They're not slumped anymore. Your, their, your shoulders are bouncing up and down. I want you to raise up in the hand and do that whole, you know, I'm raising the roof up kind of thing. Woo. Yeah, yeah. I want you to smile. <laughs> now, I want I want anybody who was depressed just a minute ago, or and and life sucks. I want you to do all of this, and I want you to try to stay depressed. You can't do it. It's impossible. You change your physiology. Just the changes in your physiology, you're going to change the way you feel. Matter of fact, I just did that. I have I don't know. I just sat down from doing. I was wiggling my buck, but I was doing the raising the roof, and I was smiling, and I have a sense of euphoria right now. So what happened is my brain just released a couple endorphins and some dopamine. It's like, wow, that that was cool. Just by changing. And by the way, I'm breathing deeper. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so just changing your physiology will change how you feel. And so f- happiness, if you want to experience joy and happiness, don't slouch. Don't frown. Uh, get up, wiggle, move around, get it, do the things that somebody who is excited does. I mean, people who are experiencing joy, the best people I go to a sporting event, which I don't do a lot, but I've been to enough of them when their favorite team scores and makes a, you know, a three point goal or they make, you know, they make a touchdown. What do people, they get up and they jump up and down. It's like, and they scream like crazy people, you know, but boy, if you did it alone in your house, you'd be a mad person, right? But who says you can't do that alone? Get up and get your favorite team just scored and get up and get excited about. It. The second thing is your focus. What are you focused on? So are you focused you could be focused on oh my gosh, the words that that person just spoke to me. 
Oh, how angry does that make me? I'm focused on that. I'm focused on, I'm focused on how I feel about that. I focused on, on how hurt I am. I'm focused on how this has done me wrong. I'm focused on how this is going to impact my future. I'm focused on what might happen as a result of this. I'm focused on how this is going to damage my reputation. I'm going to focus on how this might potentially cost me money. I'm going to focus on how this is going to ruin my life. Focus on those things and guess what? You'll stay unhappy. Now, you could, you could actually say, hey, what can I learn from this? You know, is there any way that I could take what that person, it's like, well, I could focus on, wait a second, what is this person experiencing in their life that caused them to say these hurtful things or to do this hurtful thing? You know, and, and in reality, is this the end of my life? It, it, does this actually have to steal my joy? Is there, right. is there any way that I can experience joy? Matter of fact, I had a, an experience where somebody very closely did something that, that potentially could have cost me um, over $100,000 a year. And you know what I decided to do? I was like, wait a second. What can I learn from this? Well, if, if one person has the potential of doing one action and it's going to cost me $100,000 a year, that's my fault, not theirs. I'm taking ownership of this. And you know what? Yes. I'm going to do something different that actually allows me to replace that income with something that isn't so susceptible to one action from one other human being. Who am I to give that person power over me in that way? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm going to be happy that this guy did this that got me out of the position that left me so vulnerable. I'm so thankful for what that guy did. I'm happy yeah. and I'm joy-filled now. So where do you focus? And then the third one is the language. The language we use. Oh, this always happens to me. Oh, it's, why, why is life so, why, why does this always have to happen to me? Why is this, you know, why am I, why did I do that stupid thing? Why did I make that mistake? I always do that. That language is always going to get you unhappy and unjoy, and, and, and lack of joy. Absolutely. Instead, you could use different language like, wow, that is very, um, well, what, boy, I, that, that, is, that is not exactly my preference. I did not, des- when I woke up this morning, I, I was not anticipating this. And boy, that, that does not feel good right now. But what can I learn from this? I, you know, th- it's like, this is an experience. I, what can I do to avoid this from happening again is a different question. It's different language than why does this always happen? So right. I, I could go into a whole two or hour conversation on these three things. But if you want to, a- if you ask me, what is the answer to the question of what are the obstacles that keep us from experiencing joy? Uh, it is our physiology, our focus and our language that keeps us from experiencing joy. And you can choose to change all three of those and experience joy and happiness on a consistent basis. I love that. I love that because it's so true. It is so fundamentally and profoundly true. And you say it so well. Um, oh, Cliff Ravenscraft, I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for taking some time out of your busy morning um, to spend some time with me and those who listen to your voice to share your incredible story uh, and also to share your thoughts about how to be joyful and live joy out uh, in who you are and what you do. It means a great deal to me to have you as part of this conversation. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Uh, real quick, can I tell people how they can find more if they're interested? 
Please do. Please do. So there are two things. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you know how to listen to a podcast. I would encourage you to check out The Cliff Ravenscraft Show. It's a podcast that I do every single week where I talk a lot about the stuff that you're hearing here. Um, Mm -hmm. And for those of you who know that you've been called to something more than what you're currently doing in life, you have this dream inside of you, and you just know that there's more to be had, but you are being held back for whatever reason, I want to encourage you to check out a conference that I'm hosting in September in Franklin, Tennessee called Free the Dream. And Mm. you can learn more about that conference at freethedream.live. And the purpose of the conference is to help people change their beliefs about who they are and what you're able to achieve in this world to help you discover and break free from the limiting beliefs that are holding you back from being all that God created you to be, to help you discover how to break through procrastination, to end the pattern of self-sabotage, to learn how to become the master of your physical body so that you no longer are plagued by all of the health conditions that maybe mm-hmm. are either exper- you're experiencing now or that you might experience if you don't change things and you know you need to change things. Free the dream dot live that's not dot com free the dream dot live i love it everybody go look that up right now right now because that is good and valuable and important stuff that we could all use more of so um please learn more about cliff he's a wonderful person um and he's got an amazing story and he's got a huge heart and i thank you for sharing that heart with us today cliff thank you sean i appreciate it thank you sir